So here's my question for you today. How would you like to resign as CEO of the universe? <laughs> Sign me up, right? I know I would. Um, the geocentric universe that I'm trying constantly to maintain is not only not the best of all worlds for you, other planets in my orbit, it's also not the best of worlds for me either. I just like to resign as CEO. And you know the good news that we're learning from St. Paul in Romans chapter 8 is there is another option. There's a better way. You have a choice. I have a choice. We can either control our lives or think we do or we can be led through them by another. The Holy Spirit. See, Paul's arguing in Romans 8 that there are really two ways to live. Not good or bad, like people think Christians are trying to be good or bad. Not easy or hard. But actually, by yourself or full of the Holy Spirit. That is the Spirit of Christ. That is, as I've taken to calling him, the resident agent of life and peace. Because of the way Paul speaks about him here in this text. Now you get to choose two ways. Which way are you going to do it when you walk out of these doors uh, here today, wherever you are? The question would be then, how? How do I move from the Georgiocentric universe to a Christ-centric universe led through my life by the person and power of the Holy Spirit? How? So this is what I want to talk with you about during these five weeks we call Life in the Spirit, this series. And it's Paul's concern here in Romans chapter 8. Now, last week, if you were with us, you saw that this begins with what we call rebooting our minds. But today we're going to learn from Paul that there's a second step, and that is internalizing the resurrection. Easter needs to live in us just as it lives in history. So let's pick up where we left off. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 14. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, grab the black book in the rack in front of you there, turn to page 919, and, or navigate over to Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 14. And if you're able, let's stand. Let's uh, read this aloud corporately as a, an act of worship, honoring Jesus, the living center of uh, this scripture. And when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his Spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read there never will. Please be seated. So did you guys see the, the SpaceX Starship launch two weeks ago? Was that kind of dramatic? 
I, I, I love the way they described it. They called it a rapid unscheduled disassembly. <laughs> now, I'm not a scientist. It looked like an explosion to me. I mean, so the rocket goes up and it, and it blows up right there. I, I know that's silly lay talk of me. I'm just an English major. It was not a, an explosion. It was actually a rapid unscheduled disassembly, right? Sounds so sedate. Uh, but it was really a, a, a blow up and it was a really big one. If, if you didn't see it, you might want to watch the video. No one was hurt. But this was uh, the most powerful rocket ever to be launched from this planet. 15 million pounds of force at liftover where there used to be a launch pad. Now there is just a crater. <laughs> it's just a, literally there's a crater left behind. Oh, and the disassembly that happened up uh, in the sky sent concrete chunks six miles away from the launch pad in Texas. So bang. You know, bang, that was a big one. Now, here's why this comes to mind. St. Paul suggests that you have, if you're a believer, that you have in your life a power that is greater than that. Let's look at the text again, verse 11. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Bang! I mean, let's give that some thought. Right? The, the one who leads you through your life, who is trying to lead you through your life, has real power, has resurrection, life from the dead kind of power. Now, Paul says this because he's kind of worked through a couple of implications. And I'd like to share two implications of this with you today. The first implication is this. The Holy Spirit changes the trajectory of your life. The Holy Spirit will do that. He will change the trajectory of your life, the course that you're on. Because after all, to rise from the dead is to be carried in a new direction. New direction. Now, I love the, what you engineers can do. I mean, it's a marvel to me. English majors do nothing but sentence diagrams. But engineers can actually take a little laptop computer with wheels on it and blast it through the atmosphere, around the earth, past the moon, cross the solar system, and gently land on the surface of Mars, drive around and send back Instagram photos. I mean, this is amazing what you do. The fact is, though, even if you are an engineer, no, no, no disrespect intended, we are not so good at charting the course of our own lives. Our lives. I love what Walker Percy says, I think somewhat tongue-in-cheek. He says, how is it possible for the man who designed Voyager 19, and I think there were only two Voyagers, uh, which arrived at Titania, a satellite of Uranus, three seconds off schedule and 100 yards off course after a flight of six years to be one of the most screwed-up creatures in California or the cosmos? Thank you, Walker Percy. So, so a new trajectory. Uh, let's go back to Romans. And remember that Romans 8 comes after Romans 7. If you've been reading along with the apostle in Romans 7, you see we've been wrestling with the question, how do you live a good life? How can we live a life that's truly good? And he's wrestling with that. Listen to what he says. He says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do. Uh, do not want is what I do. So he's saying, oddly, when I'm in control of my own life, I don't always like the outcome. I don't get what I want. And I relate to this too. Myself, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be touchy 
or irritable. I don't want to get stuck in my anxiety or have to medicate my pain with addictive behaviors. I don't want to think hateful or racist thoughts. I mean, so that we can do everything in our power to keep that from happening, but it still does. And then think about it. What, what, what begins just a few centimeters off course at the start over time puts us on a trajectory that will send us to the wrong galaxy altogether. And what do we do when we get over here? We, start, we go, something's wrong, and we start exerting more control. We lock it down if we can. What do we do? See, this is what the Apostle Paul is wrestling with in Romans 7. And the answer is in Romans 8. The answer is, thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit. This is why Romans 8, among all chapters in the Bible, is the one that really sings the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changes the trajectory of your life. Because, as Paul says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And that's gonna, there's no way for that not to make a difference. If you'll let him. So notice uh, the implication of this new trajectory. It's from death to life. It's not from life to death the way we normally think. We normally think we're moving from life to death. Oh gosh. No, this is Paul saying you're actually moving from death to life. New trajectory. And he's, when he does that, he's taking the resurrection of Jesus and the Easter story. And he's seeing it as a paradigm for the Christian life. Paradigm for life in the spirit. So last week we learned that the Holy Spirit has this ministry to, to convince us that there is no shame in our life. There should be no shame, right? No condemnation. Today we're seeing, as Paul moves on, it doesn't just leave us there convinced that we don't have shame. He also powers us up for a new way of life. So it's not just no condemnation, but it's actually resurrection. Okay, and here's why. Let's look at this diagram we began working with last week. Here we see the, the Trinity. We're not, remember, not Unitarians. We're Trinitarians. We're following the Apostle Paul here. We don't stand before the Father in our own independent relationship. We don't stand before God immediately without a mediator. No, we have a vicar, uh, a representative, Jesus Christ. We stand before the Father and have a vicarious relationship with God through the Son. And the Spirit's job is to forge a union between you and the Son of God, Jesus this is a huge mystery, but a beautiful truth that the Spirit puts you in the Son and puts the Son in you. So binds you, joins you to the Son, Jesus Christ. So that wherever the Son stands, there you stand in Him. And whenever you, wherever you walk in life, there the Son walks with you. And this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit gives us the position of Jesus in relation to the Father, no condemnation, that was last week, but he also gives us the power of Jesus in relation to our own lives, resurrection. The Holy Spirit says to you, you're good just the way you are, I love you, don't change a bit, no condemnation. And then he says, and also I'm gonna make you like Jesus, there is change coming, resurrection. See, position and power. And the power is real. Jesus himself talked about it. Remember in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I got an email last week from one of you, and I got permission to share it with you, so thank you for this. this is, one of our friends here said, um, you know, before I understood 
that, that I'm called to set my mind on the things of the Spirit, like we talked about last week, I was actually an angry person with a temper that manifested itself inappropriately, consistently. I also always justified that anger. That temper is still just as vicious, but it is controlled by God's spirit. Isn't that interesting, the way he says that? It seldom rises to the surface, the anger, and the spirit lets me know it fairly quickly when I sin. I would be a very different person in daily activities if the spirit were not in charge. Well, there's an invitation there. And, you know, that's my experience as well. This is really what the Holy Spirit does. See, there's a moment between cause and effect. There can be a moment between action and reaction. If we give the Holy Spirit just a bit of an opportunity, he'll create space for the power of Jesus to step in. So I don't have to react in my own anger. I can let him act in his love. So that my reaction, actually in some weird, mysterious way, is actually the reaction of Jesus himself through the Holy Spirit. I, listen, listen to what he says. I'd be a very different person if the Spirit were not in charge. So thank you for sending that email. What he's reminding us, and this is what Paul's arguing here, that the Holy Spirit is the master of the turnaround. He's the resident agent of life and peace. Resurrection not just a historical reality, but it's an existential experience that grows in us day by day as we allow the Holy Spirit to lead. The Spirit then is the agent of surprise, the agent of new possibilities, new creation. He can take you from death to life in any situation, at any time. No matter how hard things are, no matter how lost or broken you are, He can empower you to face the challenge. He can lead you through the chaos. And as we'll see later on in the chapter, uh, chapter 8, he can even take what's bad and turn it into something that's good. That's resurrection, pulling life out of death. The Holy Spirit changes the trajectory of our lives. It's implied by what Paul says here. Now I want to share another implication with you and explore it. The second one is this, that the Holy Spirit helps us disassemble our old lives. This is important. We don't, this is uncomfortable, but important. The Holy Spirit helps us disassemble our old lives. Because new life in Jesus comes out of the death of the old. That, that's implied. New life in Jesus comes out of the death of our old life. I don't know if you saw it. I first caught it on the news, this SpaceX launch. And uh, they cut to mission control. And they were cheering. The moment it exploded, I thought, oh, this is a PR stunt. Elon Musk has told them to do this. <clears throat> then I went and looked at the video and I thought, there's no way you can command that. It was spontaneous. They were like, just, it, it blew up and they were like, yay, cheering. I thought, what? Why? I mean, I really pondered this last week. <clears throat> and, th- and what I learned is, well, first of all, they considered what happened. Just the launch itself was a su- success for the program, for where they were in the program. It was already a success. But more importantly, I think it's that they knew that before they could get where they were ultimately going, which I understand is Mars, some disassembly was required. <laughs> right? I mean, it just happened a little faster than they were expecting, Right? Remember, rapid, unscheduled disassembly. So this friend who sent me the email, I got in conversation with him last week, and he had a question. This is what prompted the whole thing. He's trying to make sense of Romans 8. And here's what he writes to me. Listen to this. 
He says, okay, we have both a sinful nature and God's spirit in us. He writes, in the normal interactions during the day, which of these two is in the default position? I thought, oh, he has to be an engineer. You you got the sinful nature and the Holy Spirit in the normal everyday kind of way of life, which for the believer is in the default position. I thought, this is a very observant question. What he gets is that Paul's presenting there are two ways to live. You can live, quote, according to the sinful nature, he says flesh, or by the Spirit. And this friend is saying, well, which one is the default position? Which one should the believer just assume is normally leading us? Uh, The sinful nature of the Holy Spirit. Okay, you get the question. This is where it gets interesting. What would Paul say? Okay, you've got a Bible in front of you. What would Paul say? Well, look at verse 13. Paul writes this, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. Okay, so it seems clear to me there that the Holy Spirit must be dominant. Because if the Holy Spirit weren't dominant, the Spirit wouldn't have the power to help us put the deeds of the body to death. But it's also clear to me that the Holy Spirit is not the default. He's dominant, but he's not the default. Otherwise, there'd be no need to set the mind on the spirit, as Paul says in verse 5, or to put to death the deeds of the body, as Paul says here. I mean, if it were just the default, you wouldn't have to do that. It would happen automatically. That's not what he says. So the spirit is dominant, but our sinful nature is default. Just think about that for a second. It's like your phone, right? You have a phone in your pocket. It comes out of the box. It's got default settings, which means you don't have to think about it. It's just going to operate all by itself without you doing anything in default mode. Be careful. You might not like default mode. I mean, it's going to share information with who it's going to share information with. It's going to give you the browser that it wants you to use. It's going to send you the kind of notifications that it wants to send you. So that's default mode. Well, it's the same in our lives. You came into this world and grew up, became kind of a conscious human being, not even realizing that out of the box you have defaults. You've got default settings. Dallas Willard, the philosophy professor from USC, he, he calls them automatic patterns of response. You and I have automatic patterns of response, you know, the stimuli of life. Defaults. These defaults come from our family of origin. They come from our culture. They come from our own choices and patterns of behavior over time. Ultimately, they come from our alienation from God. Where do they come from? Now, today, you and I, it's bad choices, disordered desires, unhealthy patterns of response that have become our default settings. By the way, can I just step aside for one second and say this, that when Paul talks to us about putting to death deeds of the body, he's not saying be hard on your body. I just want to make sure you get that. This is metaphorical language. He's using words like flesh and body to stand in for the sinful nature. He uses that metaphorical language so that we can draw a connection to the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he's not saying be hard on your body. He's saying you've got something in your life, these default settings, they're going to lead you where you really don't want to go. And it's really the way he talks in Ephesians 4, more less metaphorically, when he says you've got an old self and a new self. They're both inside of you. And what Paul's saying here is, Man, if you let that old you live, the real you, the real you in Christ, it's going to die. It takes some power to break the automatic patterns. 
It takes power because sin is a power. In Romans, this is one of the insights of the Apostle Paul in this letter, sin is not just a choice that you make, it's a power in your life. Oftentimes the translators will translate the word sin with a capital S to say this is a power, this is a real agency that's beyond you. He says in verse uh, 9 of chapter 3, all, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin. We're hopeless and helpless until the power of heaven breaks in. What Jesus does So in other words, Jesus may forgive your sin, okay, good, but only the Holy Spirit can break its power. And only you can give the Holy Spirit permission to break that power. So in this email I got from this friend, I I think really what he's asking is, who's in control in my life? Who's in control? And the answer is, you are. You're in control of your life. But the question is, what are you going to do with that control? You could deconstruct it and disassemble it if you're understanding that the way you're living at any given moment actually reflects the old self, the self that's passing away. You'll either live according to the defaults of your old or you will yield control to the Holy Spirit and find the power to disassemble that old self and its defaults. This is why I say it this way. The Holy Spirit helps us disassemble our old lives. I've come to believe that rapid unscheduled disassembly is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. I've got a new name for it. I didn't before last week. Sometimes for me, it's not so rapid. I wish it were faster, but I can think a couple weeks ago, I had a really hard week. I think the technical term for it is a doozy. Have you ever had a week where you felt like you had a near-death experience? I mean, I I could see it coming. Challenges at home, work, family, all that stuff. I could just see it coming. I thought to myself, Lord, help me get through this week. I have no idea how I'm going to survive this week, (laughs) let alone do well. Well, I got on the other side of the week. I came back here with you. The sun was shining. We were singing songs. And I thought, I'm I'm alive. It's a miracle. I made it through. It's a miracle. Like a minor miracle. I'm alive. And you know what happened? As I thought about that, I realized, but it's not the same George. I'm a little different. Something inside of me has shifted. Something inside of me broke last week and got reassembled in a healthier way. It's because the Holy Spirit got me through. And I'm saying to myself, wow, uh, I want to I trust the Holy Spirit more the next time I anticipate a week like this. You see, you see how that works? That's the disassembly. It's really actually a really good thing. It's very powerful. And for the Apostle Paul, who had all these challenges, you know Paul, it became a way of life for him. So it's interesting. I, I caught Paul reflecting on uh, in, in 2 Corinthians, what he's writing about here in Romans 8. So let's just flip over. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 8, uh, verse 11. Listen to what Paul says. He's using the plural like an epistolary we, but he's really just talking about himself. He says, we are afflicted in every way, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that, and that's the key. Notice the intention. So that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our body. There's the resurrection. Because when I bump into life's challenges and it's so, so hard, I've come to believe that this is an opportunity. Not that God created the challenge, but the Holy Spirit can turn the challenge into an opportunity for the resurrection life of Jesus to empower me through it. This is great. And then he goes on in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 9. He says, indeed, I or we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that We would rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Something inside of me is shifting. 
Something inside of me is disassembling. I'm being reconstructed now by the resurrection of Jesus. I don't know any way to explain it except this is the Holy Spirit. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Turns dying into rising. Turns dying to the old self into rising in the new. Turns yielding control of our lives into finding the Spirit turns disassembly into reassembly. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the apostle says. That's the second implication. Holy Spirit helps us disassemble our old lives. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. But it's a new trajectory. And we know where it's going because we've seen Jesus risen from the dead. Holy Spirit helps us disassemble our old lives. Now let's put the two together. And he does it in order to change the trajectory of our lives. Both implications. I guess I'd say them both this way together. The Holy Spirit brings us to the end of our lives, throughout our lives, in order to create in us new life. So you and I can resign as CEO of the universe. We can. Tell the board, find someone else. Right? I'm out. You're out. We're out. Because we've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the resident agent of life and peace. You know, I wonder how much of the anxiety that I go through any given day comes from a false sense of control. The sense that I could really change a lot of the things that I'm worried about. I say to myself, I've got to get it just right. Yeah, I wonder how much of the disappointment that I experience any given day comes from the myth of my own control or didn't work out just the way I thought it should. You know that the building in Texas, you know what they call it? Mission control. Mission control. I thought about that. It's now covered in debris and dust. Mission control. Maybe they should call it mission chaos. Because they're cheering, remember? They like what happened there, that big boom. Because they know that we can't ultimately get where we're going without some experience of rapid, unscheduled disassembly. It's just the way life works. But they know, well, I say we know, I don't know about them. We know that there's something at work in the chaos. There's someone at work in the great cloud of dust they call my life. Because if you've given your life to Jesus, then as Paul says in verse 14, you are a child of God. We're going to keep talking about this. You're a child of God. And the Holy Spirit is leading you. That's the word he uses, leading you. Holy Spirit is leading you. Which means Jesus is in control. He's in control, not us. And he leads us through the chaos. I want to close with a little anecdote uh, from Peter, Jesus says something very interesting to Peter at the end of his uh, earthly ministry. You know, Peter denies Jesus and Jesus meets him on the beach and restores him three times. Then right there at the end of uh, Jesus' remarks to Peter, uh, he tells him about his future. And tradition tells us, by the way, that Peter was crucified by Nero in Rome sometime around AD 64. Crucified, Peter. But Jesus says to him in advance, he says, Very truly I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. It's John 21, 18. Notice the loss of control. 
You see it there? Age, this is a beautiful picture of aging, by the way. Many of us are going through this. We, we get this feeling of, I'm, I can't even fasten my own belt. I'm being taken where I don't want to go. Somebody else is stretching out my hand. It's a picture of aging. But it's not really about aging for Jesus and Peter. It's about maturity. So whether you're old or whether you're just starting out this adventure called life, you need to pay attention to what Jesus says to Peter. This is about maturity. At the end of Peter's life, Jesus says, you will not have achieved control. You will have finally achieved surrender to me. It is your surrender to me that will make your life full and fulfilling at the end. See, this is so surprising. The goal in our culture is to gain control, right? We're supposed to get to a place where we can, like, retire, where we have all the money that we want, the power and the status. We don't have to work anymore. No one tells us what to do. We can just do whatever we want to do. It's all a trajectory towards control. That's what the culture tells us. Jesus says just the opposite. It's a trajectory towards surrender. And I love the way Henry Nouwen says it. He says, powerlessness and humility in the spiritual life powerlessness and humility in the spiritual life do not refer to people who have no spine and who let everyone make decisions for them. No, they refer to people who are so, gets this, deeply in love with Jesus that they are ready to follow him wherever he guides them. Always trusting that with him they will find life and will find it abundantly. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. The goal of life is to release control to gain the ability, actually, to let somebody else put a belt around you and lead you, or literally, Jesus says, carry you where you do not wish to go. But you go because you know Jesus always leads you into abundant life. And so you go joyfully. That's maturity. That's what will make your life fulfilling at the end. And it doesn't happen once. It's not like you can make that decision at a young life retreat when you're a teenager. You've got to make this decision Again and again and again, this is about the cumulative effect of the leading of the Holy Spirit in the daily life of, of a life well lived over a lifetime. Over a lifetime. So bang! That's not the noise of chaos in your life. Bang! That might just be the sound of resurrection in your life. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we throw ourselves before you with fear and trembling for it is the living God in our midst. This isn't a game. We call out to you, Jesus, come with power. We know the risks. We know that you'll ask us to hold everything loosely. That even what we want is on the table. That our sense of control is on the table. So we pray with fear and trembling, but we know we can never do better than to follow the one who gave his life for us, shed his own blood for us, and who is the only one who offers us the promise of resurrection life, of being able to pull life out of even death. So to you, we surrender. Would you open us up to the power of your Holy Spirit? Pray that for ourselves individually. Pray that collectively. We pray that for the person in front of us, behind us, on our right, on our left. Lord, let your Holy Spirit come and fill us. We've been, we've been praying that so many different ways all, all morning today. We, 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 we wait on you now. We wait on you. In Christ's name, amen.